Today's saint is Saint Ephraim the Syrian. He was a Marian saint, an early Marian saint, and is considered a doctor of the church. So let's get into him because today is the Feast of the Assumption, and I thought covering a Marian saint would be good. Born at Nisibius, which was at the time under the rule of the Romans, early in the 4th century, he died on June in June of 373 A.D., we don't know who his father was, but we know that his father was not a Christian. His mother was a native of a place called Amid. Ephraim was instructed in the Christian mysteries by St. James, the famous Bishop of Nisibis, and was baptized at the age of 18, or 28. There's some, dis there's some dispute about the dates there. Thenceforth, he became more intimate with the holy bishop, who availed himself of the services of Ephraim to renew the moral life of the citizens in Nisibis especially during the sieges of 338, 346, and 350. One of his biographers relates that on a certain occasion, he cursed from the city walls the Persian hosts, whereupon a cloud of flies and mosquitoes settled on the army of Sapor II and forced them to withdraw. The adventurous campaign of Julian the Apostate, which for a time menaced Persia, ended, as is well known, in disaster, and his successor, Giovannius, was only too happy to rescue from annihilation some remnant of his great army, which his predecessor had led across Euphrates. To accomplish even so much, the emperor had to sign a disadvantageous treaty, by the terms of which Rome lost eastern provinces conquered at the end of the 3rd century. Among the cities retroceded to Persia was Nisibis. To escape the cruel persecutions that were then raging in Persia, most of the Christian population abandoned the place en masse. Ephraim went with his people and settled first at Beit Garbaya, then at Amid, finally at Edessa, the capital of Orsoen, where he spent the remaining ten years of his life as a hermit and lived a remarkable life of severe asceticism. Nevertheless, he took an interest in all matters that closely concerned the population of Edessa. Several ancient writers say that he was a deacon. As such, he could well have been authorized to preach in public. At this time, some schismatic sects were active in Edessa. Ephraim contended vigorously with all of them, notably with the disciples of the illustrious philosopher Bardasanes. To this period belongs nearly all his literary work. Apart from some poems composed at Nisibis, the rest of his writings and sermons, his hymns, his exegetical treaties, date from his sojourn at Edessa. It's not probable that he is one of the chief founders of the theological school of the Persians, so-called because its first students and original masters were Persian Christian refugees of 363. At his death, St. Ephraim was born without pomp to the cemetery of the foreigners. The Armenian monks of the monastery of St. Sergius at Edessa claimed to possess his body. Pope Benedict XV elevated St. Ephraim to the dignity of being a doctor of the universal church, the Pope made a remarkable description of him. Quote, this harp of the Holy Spirit, St. Ephraim, never sings sweeter songs than when he has set his strings to sing the praises of Mary. End quote. He said this in his encyclical Octe Apollosteke Sedis, published in 1920, which I will cover in the near future. Although many of his hymns are lost, it is counted that he wrote over 400 hymns. The 5th century Greek historian Sozomen, in his famous Ecclesiastical History, speaks very eloquently of St. Ephraim, and his brief description of this awesome saint is worth sharing, though it is a bit lengthy. He writes, quote, 
Ephraim the Syrian was entitled to the highest honors and was the greatest ornament of the Catholic Church. He was a native of Nisibis, where his family was of the neighboring territory. He devoted his life to monastic philosophy, and although he received no instruction, he became contrary to all expectation, so proficient in the learning and language of the Syrians that he comprehended with ease the most abstruse theorems of philosophy. His style of writing was so replete with splendid oratory and with richness and temperateness of thought that he surpassed the most approved writers of Greece. If the works of these writers were to be translated into Syriac or any other language, and divested, as it were, of the beauties of the Greek language, they would retain little of their original eloquence and elegance. The productions of Ephraim have not this disadvantage. They were translated into Greek during his life, and translations are even now being made, and yet they preserve much of their original force, so that his works are not less admired when read in Greek than when read in Syriac. St. Basil, who was subsequently bishop of the metropolis of Cappadocia, was a great admirer of his, and was astonished at his erudition. The opinion of Basil, who is universally confessed to have been the most eloquent man of his age, is a strong testimony to the merit of Ephraim, that anything that could be indicated by to his praise. It is said that he wrote 300,000 verses, and that he had many disciples who were zealously attached to his doctrines. The most celebrated of his disciples were Abbas, Zenobius, Abraham, Maris, and Simeon, in whom the Syrians and whoever among them pursued accurate learning make a great boast. Polanus and Aranet are praised for their finished speech, although reported to have deviated from sound doctrine. End quote. So not only were his writings widely known, they were also translated into Greek, and St. Basil of Caesarea held him in high regard. There is no exaggerating the reliability of this magnificent early Christian writer. His hymnography of the Blessed Mother covers a wide range of testimony on behalf of her divine motherhood, her giving birth as a virgin, her role of salvific mediation, her office as second Eve, and her absolute sinlessness. This is extremely important, since at this point in Christian history, if it were a heresy to regard the Virgin Mary as stated, then we should have heard of certain resistance and rebellion against it. However, we only see praise and admiration for authors who held the Mother of God in such high esteem. So, remember, these dogmas and doctrines of the Church were believed as early as the time of St. Ephraim the Syrian, who lived from 306 to 373 A.D., give or take. Again, there is some disputation about his uh, specific time that he lived, but we're talking the 4th century that these beliefs were held. If they had been considered heresies in his time, St. Ephraim would have uh, sided on, stood with the actual true faith. I want to give you an idea of what we, of what St. Ephraim, how he taught about the Virgin Mary in the way that I just described. He clearly affirms that Mary is the most beautiful creature, who brings to the light the fairest of the sons of men, invoking Psalm 45. Together with her son, whom he was referring to there, she holds the primacy of beauty. Quote, you alone and your mother are more beautiful than the others, for there is no blemish in you, nor any stains upon your mother, end quote. Now, remember, we must not think that Our Lady and Our Lord's beauty is merely aesthetic. Such is the consequence of much deeper beauty. The beauty of Mary's heart and soul, which shines forth in her gentle countenance. Mary's beauty of her soul is her purity and her docility to the divine inspirations. This is not aesthetic beauty. This is supernatural beauty. This is, div this is the product of divine intervention in her life and her creation. 
St. Ephraim has been identified by some as the precursor to the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, thanks to the outbursts of ineffable love evident in the lyrics in which he describes the Virgin's interior beauty. Here's a quote for you from one of his hymns. The eye is clear if united to the sun. By its light it conquers armies. It shines with its light, gleams with its brilliance, is adorned by its beauty. As though an, uh, on an eye, the light dwelt in Mary and purified her spirit. It cleansed her thoughts, sanctified her conscience, and perfected her virginity. The river in which he was baptized conceived him symbolically. The moist womb of the water conceived him in purity, bore him in splendor, and made him ascend in glory. In the chaste womb of the river recognized the daughter of man, who conceived without knowing man and gave birth without the seed of man. By grace she formed the Lord of grace. Light in the river, splendor in the tomb. He skipped over the mountain, shone in the maternal womb, was resplendent in his rising, was radiant as he rose to the heavens. End quote. And in there you see the true understanding of Catholic devotion to the Virgin, in that she leads us to him, to our Lord. And remember, as I said before, if what the church had said had been heretical to the earliest of Christians, St. Ephraim would have sided with the true faith. He would have sided with the true church, not with those who had uh, taught heresy. St. Ephraim, pray for us. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.